are entering the Freedom Hut. Trump puts in place a ban on immigration. Georgia is reopening soon, as is North Carolina. Will there be a PPP deal? Also, states are running out of unemployment funds. Reports of Kim Jong-un's demise seem perhaps exaggerated. And oil price, the lowest in history. That and more coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Governors across the country are looking forward to phase one and announcing plans for an economic resurgence. We're going to have a resurgence, too. At a time when millions of American workers and families are struggling with the financial consequences of the virus, it's critical to continue the medical war while reopening the economy in a safe and responsible fashion. During this time, Americans must maintain strict vigilance and continue to practice careful hygiene, social distancing, and the other protective measures that we have outlined and that everybody's become very familiar with. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. President Trump continuing to hold the line here, pushing forward for uh, reopening where it where it makes sense, where states feel that they are in a position to safely begin to return uh, to business and allow for the economic activity that is necessary, as we all know, necessary to fund not just our day-to-day lives and make sure there's food on the shelves, but necessary to make sure that hospitals have staff and personnel. There's a lot at stake with the economic contraction that we're seeing, and contraction's way too gentle a word. We are in a depression. We are in a depression. Let's be very clear about that. It might be a short-lived depression, We will find out soon enough whether or not that's the case. But we are certainly in something of a of a depression. Um, You look at the numbers. There's no way around that. Georgia, Tennessee and South Carolina are trying to reopen right now. Or in the process of reopening, I should say. Uh, There's different levels for different states. And now is uh, when you're going to start to see unbelievable, just gross wrong politicization of this issue from people who look we're we're at the point where there are there's a not not a small number of individuals who are being very loud about what they think should happen here who want to see failure in states reopening so that they can be right and trump and the gop and the reopen voices including millions and millions of Democrats who don't have jobs right now either, who I'm sure care more about having a job and having a paycheck than they do about whatever they're saying on MSNBC. Uh, There are people who are rooting for this to not work. It's very clear on social media. It's very clear from the way that this is being set up by so many people in the media that their, their primary goal here is to create the the uh, the the trap for any governor of if you if you open and there are any there's any more outbreaks of the virus in your state and there's any additional deaths those deaths are on you that blood is on your hands well hold on a second flattening the curve was never 
We were never told that flattening the curve was supposed to defeat the virus in its entirety because it can't. And we know that we can't continue the lockdown forever. So there is no future in which there are no more cases of this virus and there are no more deaths from this virus until we get to a vaccine or herd immunity, whichever comes first. Everyone keeps assuming we'll be at a vaccine in 18 months. I'm not I'm not so confident. How is that vaccine for the various strains of the common cold coming along? Right. I mean, I I think there's going to be a tremendous focus on this. There is a focus on this right now, but we don't know. We don't have a SARS vaccine. Now, they would say that SARS disappeared anyway. It's it's a very complicated thing. There's also this story out that you have 30 different, according to one study linked on the Drudge Report, 30 different strains of this. There's already mutations that are occurring. Uh, with, with a pandemic of this scale, that wouldn't seem it wouldn't be, seem to be surprising. There's some mutation, although most mutation is minor. Uh, we've all been led to believe that mutation is like the X-Men, that you know, dramatic changes to the genetic code. That's usually a vast majority of the time. That's not the case. But still, herd immunity would come at the at the long term price of, of, a, of a lot of lives. And we know that. So we didn't do that. Instead, we did the flattening the curve strategy. We were told that was to prevent the overwhelming of our hospital system. Our hospitals are not overwhelmed anywhere, including here in New York, where there's a pretty substantial drop off in new cases and also in fatalities day to day. You know, fatalities are down about 40 percent. New cases are down more than uh, more than half. I think they're down now 60 or 70 percent day to day. I think the height was around 3000. And now you've got a little over a thousand a day, perhaps new or twelve hundred a day, something like that. So you've had a, a dramatic change in the trajectory here in the worst hit place. And we're told that this is all because of the flattening the curve strategy. But OK, well, then we've done it. If we extend this out, we're going to dramatically, uh, dramatically add to our economic pain and the dislocation and the and the the problems that no one no one really at this point could even begin to fathom what the long term consequences would be of shutting down our economy for months. This has never happened before. This is remember, we're running an experiment that has never been done before in human history. This has never been done. A nationwide economic lockdown and just a general lockdown, societal lockdown of over 300 million people. Right now, at least a third of the world, they're estimating, is under some form of lockdown. A third of the globe, a couple billion people. We trust the people in charge of public policy to make smart decisions about all of this. Well, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing and there's going to be a lot of people out there. uh, There are going to be a lot of people out there who are very dishonest in the way they frame this whole issue. There will be more deaths from COVID-19 no matter what we do. In fact, if the government said we don't care about the economy, everyone has to stay home on pain of imprisonment, there would still be people who would get this because we have essential workers that the government says are allowed to continue. We need people to stock the grocery stores. We have people that are driving trucks to get food to the grocery stores. We have, you know, healthcare personnel. I mean, hospitals are pretty much the worst place you can be when it comes to the transmission of this. The highest risk is going to be in a hospital where there are covid patients. So no matter what, there are going to be additional cases. And the moment that you reopen a society, there'll be greater risk. But now is where now is where we start to see who is willing to have a, an honest and adult and serious conversation about this massively important and consequential public policy issue. And who's a hack? 
who really seeks to do the bidding of the left and the Democratic Party above all else, above saving our economy, saving our way of life and saving lives, because all these things are intertwined. There is no lockdown until cure strategy. It does not exist. It has never existed. And so then what we're hearing from Fauci and these others right now about the need for additional testing, testing would be helpful. Testing does not prevent the spread of the disease, nor does it cure the disease, nor does it mean that there won't be people who continue to get the disease. So it's it's a useful tool in mitigation, but there are limitations on it, and, and we're, we're being misled. And I'm seeing some docs have finally had it. You know, this, this false consensus. Remember, science is not about consensus. It's about demonstrable, provable results that can be replicated by others under the same conditions. You know, when you mix together what's in the blue tube, what's in the yellow tube, what do you get in the, the, you know, the last tube? Does it, is it the same for every person who does it? Well, then that's then that's science, right? If it's a different thing every time somebody does it, well, then we got to figure out why. It doesn't matter if somebody tells you it's the same if it's not, right? This is science is supposed to be about the scientific method, experimentation, and results that can be replicated. Instead, what we have now is a false and constantly shifting consensus. This is what you must do because all the smart people say it. Every two weeks seems to change, and all of a sudden, the smart people, the experts are telling us very different things. And I don't just throw this in there because it's kind of amusing to think about how wrong they were. We've now seen the lowest oil price recorded. We had for, certainly when I was in college and for, for decades, we've had people talking about how we're running out of oil. This was a thing you would hear. Experts would say this, we're running out of oil. Now we have so much oil. We've used more oil. There's great, there was until this happened, you know, greater global demand for oil than there had been 10, 15, 20 years ago by a lot. And now we can't even, not only do we have a low price for oil, we're running out of places to store it. And experts, the smartest people, the people that you're supposed to listen to and not question, they told you that, that we were going to run out of this, and that's why we needed to switch to renewables in a, in a crash course. You know, ASAP, whatever it takes, all hands on deck, got to get those windmills up and solar panels. Got to set up as many ugly wind farms as possible. Cuisinarts for migratory fowl, as I like to call them. Just chopping up birds day and night all the time. But yeah, otherwise we're going to run out of oil. Hmm. That's where we are. Now the experts are telling us that we need to just stay in our homes until they say we can come out. No. No, that's not a good idea. Uh, we are going to have to take risk as a society. I was willing to say this early on. I've been saying it all along. And I, I, I received uh, tremendous viciousness from the left for saying that we, you know, for, for opposing uh, the extension of the shutdown. I've always thought that this was a bad idea. I thought that two weeks of pause maybe to get, you know, I, I was on board for a two week pause to let our hospitals and systems and everything get better set up, you know, to, to deal with the incoming. But the 30 day extension was more than 30 day extension was, oh, well, maybe maybe if we just keep waiting this out the virus will fade away. It's not going to happen. You know what controls this virus? Individual action, mitigation, and uh, playing the numbers, engaging in intelligent behavior. But you know what else is necessary? A functioning economy and a functioning society with people who are not, by the millions, falling into depression and despair and alcohol abuse and suicide. 
Okay, that that's also a part of this fight. And that this has turned so very clearly political where I just know, I mean, Democrats are anti reopen, anti reopen. That's where that's what they've turned into based on what they think that this is sustainable. You know, we don't all work for BuzzFeed and get to sit on our couch with our four roommates out in Bedsty in Brooklyn and, you know, bang away on a keyboard and make some cat listicles and put some trash up on the Internet and get, you know, our, our paycheck sent to us every month. People would say to me, oh, you're, you still have a job. Yeah, I still have a job. Does anybody really think that the media industry in general, especially those of us like me who it's a very simple equation. You build audience and the audience then responds to your sponsors, to the products that your sponsors are selling on the air. Everybody's hurting right now. Who's in that who's in that game? Everyone's going to be in, in rough shape. You know, there's already been furloughs that have gone on at, at, at a bunch of the major media companies. But, you know, if you're a blogger, you just sit in home, you know, get paid that much anyway. And, you know, maybe you just kind of continue doing what you're doing. So easy to sneer at people. Not quite as easy as it is, perhaps, for Nancy Pelosi and her artisan ice cream. By the way, the ad, the ad that the uh, I don't I don't know if the RNC put it out or but uh, I saw Brad Parscale share it on Twitter. There's an ad out there right now of Nancy Pelosi. It is just devastating because because it's so true. It shows who these Democrats really are. It just intersperses people who are saying who look who have a look of shock on their faces because their livelihood their day-to-day purpose of going to work and providing for themselves and their families and being productive members of society, that's been taken from them, taken from them by the government. We did not have to do this. Don't let them tell you that. This was a decision that was made. They, they managed to unite, put maximum pressure on Trump, essentially set it up so that if he didn't do this, he was a mass murderer. I mean, they just... They all the insanity of the Russia collusion and Trump is is Hitler and Trump is a traitor and he Putin's puppet. All that same craziness. All of a sudden now they could use a a body, an actual body count as as a big tool to just bludgeon the president into doing what they said he had to do here, which was to shut down the economy. Never, not just the two weeks. We the two weeks we could have we could have been okay. Vast majority of small businesses could handle it, and then we'd be able to get them cash. And so, you know, the two weeks was manageable. Six weeks is brutal. Ten weeks? We're not going to have the same economy after this. I don't, I don't care what they say. So this, this plan that some states seem to have, yeah, well, let's see where we are in June. No. This is the wrong, it's the wrong path for us to be on. And the public health uh, public health experts and the public health apparatus in general has dramatically underperformed and let us down. If people are going to, you know, I'm somebody who comes out of a CIA background and we got trashed and I wasn't even there when it happened. We got trashed for missing 9-11 and then we got trashed for being wrong on WMD a lot. And you know what? We deserved it. Those institutions deserved all of the uh, all, all of the criticism they received as a result of that. Our public health experts stretching into the middle of February, late February, were telling us that this wasn't a big deal and it was going to be fine. Yeah, I know they could say China lied, but uh, I, I, you know, a- anybody could have just said, well, this is what China is saying, so I guess it's OK. This is the public. People are trying to make this Trump's 9-11. That's really what you see the political movement is all about right now from the left. But this is actually our public health systems. 9-11, you know, was it was it George Bush's fault that that they didn't figure out that that the uh, 
plot to run planes into the Pentagon and would have been also the Capitol building and the World Trade Center. Uh, was it was it really Bush's fault or was it the FBI? A lot of FBI fault to go around, by the way, and the CIA and the other intelligence community that weren't really doing their job. And the commander in chief can only execute on what these institutions are able are able to do, you know, are, are able to, to put forward. And here, I mean, the public the public health system in this country at the policy level, not to, again, separated from the first line providers, doctors and nurses. We've got great we've got great health care personnel. I'm saying the policymakers and the agency, the regulatory chiefs inside the CDC, the NIH completely failed, completely failed on this issue. And now we've set this up so that the only way that you can avoid criticism is continue to listen to them. What all they're telling you is just basically hide until we say it's safe to come out, America. Well, some of America is willing to go outside and take the risk. Anybody who wants to hide under their bed forever is allowed to do so. But other people want to open businesses and try to live life again. What's really the alternative? I know it's, oh, you want grandma to die and this idiocy that's out there all the time. What is the alternative? They don't have an answer. Well, as long as it destroys Trump, that's what matters most. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I think history is going to judge him very harshly and put him in the same camp as Gerald Ford and even Herbert Hoover, who ignored what the Depression was doing to people Mm. and failed to bring the country back. That's where this president is now. And he should kiss his reelection goodbye if he thinks he's going to be able to convince the American people to want four more years of a guy who can't even get the basics right. That's what this is all about, isn't it? They tell you it's about saving lives, saving lives and, and doing what's best for the country. But Democrats, they see this all as just an opportunity. They're treating it as one. There's the mayor of New York, a, a complete ignoramus, a joke of a leader, a jerk. And he's already saying, yeah, Trump, Trump is shouldn't win reelection because of this. What was Trump supposed to do that he didn't do? I mean, we've we've already had this narrative that they keep they keep pushing. it. What was Trump supposed to do? He didn't do. Oh, because he was a little too positive sounding in the early days about this. That means he shouldn't get re- he shouldn't get reelected. We're, we're going to do more of a full accounting on the show today of of what reality is here versus what the left says it is about Trump's response. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're seeing these protests crop up all across the country right now, including the protests in Texas and other places where they're saying fire Anthony Fauci. Fauci uh, is wrong. They're resisting these stay-at-home orders from governors. What's your message back to those protesters? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the, the message is that clearly this is something that is hurting from the standpoint of economics, from the standpoint of things that have nothing to do with the virus. But unless we get the virus under control, the real recovery economically is not going to happen. So what you do if you jump the gun and go into a situation where you have a big spike, you're going to set yourself back. So as painful as it is to go by the careful guidelines of gradually phasing into a reopening, it's going to backfire. That's the problem. See, Anthony Fauci is not a public policy expert. He is an infectious disease expert. So his his thoughts on the protests are not nearly as uh, as insightful or worthwhile as, say, his thoughts on the 
R level infection spread rate of different pathogens. We uh, do not expect somebody who's an infectious disease uh, expert or doctor to have any special insight into what is necessary for the functioning of our republic. And that is what is at stake here if we continue to do this. Until we have the disease under control, how is that going to happen? You know, finally now people are willing to ask questions about that. Until we get the, the, the testing gets to the point where are, are we going to be testing everybody every two weeks? There are doctors in, in Italy who have, uh, you know, I've cited one on the show, but they were saying, look, uh, you know, okay, so we test. Guess what? By the time you figure out somebody, you know, has this, you may already have spread it to a number of people. By the time you track them down, you could already have a new cluster. So, yeah, the testing is useful. People want to know if they have this and they should know if they're going to be exposing others to it. But how testing is not a cure. And this is where we so so, you know, we we keep hearing like we're, we're being told certain things and people are hearing something else. They, they hear, oh, we need our testing to get to a certain capacity. And then that, that somehow translates into, well, once testing is at a certain capacity, we won't be at risk of, of spikes and of deaths from this. That's not true. That's not true. Even if testing is at the level that Fauci says it has to be, uh, there, there will still be people. There will still be people who get this, who die from this. And that's just the reality of our situation right now. And, and I'm wondering when somebody in the public health sector, you know, we have to start talking about that. Everyone discusses, oh, you know, we're going to protect life. We're going to protect life. Yeah, we know we're doing the best we can. People are also going to continue to die from this virus. That's going to ha- that's going to be true in two weeks. It's going to be true in two months. It might be true in two years. So can, can we understand? And, and so now we as a society figure out how do we live with this going on in the background, there is no short term reality of a world that we can live in a world, literally a world. I mean, never mind just America anywhere where there's not the possibility of and the threat of this virus. And we don't see continued infections and some people succumbing to it. We, we do need to have that honest conversation, it seems to me, at some point, especially when you have people that are now claiming that uh, there's a recklessness in wanting to reopen. You know what's really reckless? Living in this fantasy that we can just keep having business shut down and we can have the, the cessation of economic activity, the destruction of lives, the destruction of futures. My friends, I know that we were told that we're all going to get money and everything's going to be okay. I mean, they're, they're hopefully going to fix it soon with this PPP getting additional funding. 95% of the businesses that needed the money didn't get it because they ran out of money. Do you know what that tells us? I mean, first of all, it's, it's a reminder that the government is not nearly as you know, efficient, intelligent, effective as we'd all perhaps, especially in a crisis, like to believe it is. I mean, it's a reminder of government, government sloth and ineptitude and inability. It's a reminder of those things. But it also tells us that people whose, whose job it is to understand what the implications of our situation really are right now. They hugely undershot how much economic devastation would be created in the first few weeks of this. Right? We had all the people together. Okay, how much money are we going to need for this? And I'm also wondering how it could be possible that they run out of the first, you know, whatever it is, the first hundreds of billions 
for this plan, but only only five percent of businesses actually got a loan. And now they're going to throw hundreds of billions of more at it. And that's going to cover the other 95 percent of small businesses that need loans. And they haven't. And here's another big problem. And I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I want to talk about this later in the show. The way that this is structured, all you have to do is say you're affected by COVID-19. Well, anybody in a business environment who can is going to say, you know, even if I've got a capital reserve here and I could probably ride this out for six months, a year, which is not a lot of businesses, by the way. But I'm saying even if somebody was in that in that position, they say the government's going to give me a, a loan that I don't have to pay back. You know, business could turn really bad for me in a month or two or who knows where the world's going. I'd rather have the money. That's what's obviously happened here. And they couldn't figure this out that you 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 should have to show you know, they figure for individuals, if you made more than whatever it was two years ago, made more than 100 grand, you didn't get any money. But for businesses, they, they gave, you know, Shake Shack raised $150 million earlier in the year and they got a $10 million government loan. Uh, because, and they're allowed, it's legal. I mean, I'm not saying, look, and I understand from Shake Shack's perspective and from these other restaurants, they're saying, we got staff, we got problems. Government's giving out free money. Not nearly enough free money, though. The, the, all of the projections about this, nobody, nobody in the government really has any understanding of what this, what this kind of cessation of activity does to actual underlying wealth in an economy and the real power and faith of a, of a currency. They have no idea. This has never been done before. But let me go back to the reopening here for a second, because Georgia... And I want to tell you this, you know, I, I put my I put my money where my mouth is on things like this. I, I try to always live according to everything that I tell you, both uh, in terms of principle. And, you know, I try to be honest about my my shortcomings and, and tell you where I need improvement, whether it's on political issues that I, I am a, I waver on or just personal stuff. Right. Whatever it may be. Uh, you know, I'm I just last night uh, signed. Uh, an agreement to go give a speech in North Carolina in June. I'm I'm going down to North Carolina. I mean, as of now, unless there's some state law that bars me or something, you know, that that could happen, right? But as of now, assuming the the order is lifted and travel is, I'm going down there because what what am I going to do? I'm going to tell everybody we need to reopen America, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna hide in my apartment in New York and not go anywhere ever and not see people and not be a part of the reopening myself. I mean, I really thought about this last night. I sat there and I, it's, I have a, a the, the person who's reached out to me for his group. You know, he's a Marine and he I've known him for for th- over 30 years. We've been friends for over 30 years since we we're little kids. I reached out to me and I just you know, we had a quick chat on the phone and I said, look, I, you know, I'm I'm I want to come down. I said, do, do you think. Do you think your people, meaning, you know, the audience that you're going to bring to this of Republicans in North Carolina, do, do you think they'll show? Because, um, you know, uh, you know, that's that's my big concern is that this could be. And he said, Bach, well, you know, if we have to sit chairs apart or, you know, whatever we have to do to comply, we'll do. But I'm telling you this right now, my, my people want to get America back up on its feet and going and they're going to show up to a, a GOP uh, a GOP rally like this and and they're going to be there for a speech. That's what he told me. And I said, well, look, as long as we're, you know, w- within the letter of the law on this one, if your people are showing up, I'm showing up. So I'm going to be there. I signed last night. So I'll be going to North Carolina to give a speech. And I said, look, if there's five people in that audience, you know, if, if the social distancing mean there's only 
there's only 10 people that are allowed to show up, whatever it is, right? Whatever we have to do that's going to keep, I'm, I'll, I'll, if, if one person is going to show up, I'm going to show up. If they're going to be, if someone's willing to sit out there in that audience, and I'm hoping it's going to be more like, you know, three or 400 people, but uh, if anyone's willing to show up, then, then I'll be there. And, you know, in June, we'll know more about how things are going. And but I'm just saying, I'm, I'm trying to prepare for a future in which we start to get back to life as we've known it. And yeah, there, there, are, there are going to be some risks uh, in that. There are risks to all of us. There's risk walking out your front door every day. We're seeing this now. Lives are saved. Lives have been saved by the lockdown, not just whether you want to talk about the COVID-19 numbers, uh, but from car accidents, from accidents of all kinds, way down, way down. And if somebody does, and I'm sure they will at some point when things calm down, they'll do an analysis of this and we'll see that there are a lot of lives saved by telling people they have to stay in their homes. Yeah, but everyone has had to stay in their homes. We're, we're giving up weeks and weeks of our lives. The, you know, the only thing you can't, you, the, the only commodity that you can't get back, and this is a thing I've heard on Wall Street, the only thing that you can't get back that's tangible to you, you can't get more of, you can't get more of is actually the phrase, time. We are all living under various phases of house arrest right now, and the data doesn't support that this is even a good thing in the short term, never mind the long term. The data, all the data that I'm seeing is that with personal mitigation measures, limitations on large crowds, don't use mass transportation. But, you know, the, uh, as long as you take the, the precautions that one can take without locking down entirely and not allowing for economic activity, you'd get very close to, if not exactly where we are in terms of the safety of the people in, in any society that was doing it. There's a very real, not just argument, I mean, there's a lot of data to support that, but no one cares, right? Lockdown, that's what we're doing. We're doing a lockdown because we've been told to do so. I mean, people on the left, they've really been conditioned to just whatever the state says, you know, if the state says do 10 jumping jacks, as long as it's not, a, you know, if it's a Republican telling them to do it, then they might have a question. But if it's just the state in general, happy to do it, whatever, whatever the government tells them. It's stunning, but this is where we are. And, you know, here here is a uh, an epidemiologist who's going you know, going after Governor Kemp here, who's saying he wants to start reopening his state soon in a matter of days for business and for some activities. I think gyms will be open too. man. That would wouldn't that be nice to go to the gym again? I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not like some some big gym guy or something, but uh, it's just nice to have that change of pace and, and deal with you know your frustrations and everything that way uh, and get in better shape. Play clip 20. I've got Georgia on my mind tonight. Every epidemiologist in the country <laughs> has been trained in Georgia at CDC or goes there. It's the Mecca for epidemiologists. And I wonder what Governor Kemp is thinking. Georgia has twice as many cases per capita as California. It's in the top 10 states for deaths. Number of deaths has doubled in the last week in Georgia. It's in the top 10 states in the country. I, I don't understand. Uh, it, it doesn't meet CDC's guidelines. He should just go down the block and go to 1600 Clifton Road, where CDC is, and talk to the epidemiologists. And I don't think that they'd be very happy about this. Well, the epidemiologists then have to answer the question for me. What happens when millions of people realize that the government can't actually put the economy back together again, isn't allowing them 
isn't allowing them to pay their bills, took their jobs away from them, and is now telling them they can't go outside and engage in basic human activities. How long do you think that holds together, epidemiologists? For a disease, let's remember that at, at a maximum right now, at a maximum, based on all the numbers we're seeing, the Santa Clara study out of Germany, out of France, out of the, the, the homeless uh, study out of Boston, uh, the, the uh, pregnant women with COVID-19 here in, in New York at the hospitals. I mean, at a, at a maximum, this is, go- this is going to end up killing roughly 1% of the people who get it. But really, the number is going to be much more like, you know, 0.5 or 0.3 or 0.1. Now, I'm not saying that's not a horrific death toll, but you also can't crush all of society for that. That that is fundamentally what people will not tell you right now. But that is where we are. That is what the public policy community, they're acting on this without being willing to say it. Otherwise, well, then, yeah, I guess if it's if it's uh, if it saves just one life, then we shut down until there's a vaccine and we will not have a country left. So these epidemiologists, they can all sit around and talk about, oh, you know, Georgia, how could they do what they're doing? How long do they think this is? Do we want to wait a year? We think that's going to work out well? Uh, There's not going to be a lot of research done by epidemiologists that there are people out in the streets rioting. And if you think that that can't happen, just look at where we're heading economically right now and the strain we're putting on our entire financial system. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. These people are being egged on by right-wing media and people like Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh. And why are you bringing guns to a rally? You want to call yourself protesters? Leave your guns home. Those are terrorists who bring guns to things, to rallies. I don't trust that at all. And don't listen to these people. I don't trust them at all. Why are they bringing guns to a rally? I mean, my doorman and my butler and my maid, they don't carry guns. (sighs) <sighs> I've got to say, how, how many how many acts of violence have there been from uh, from protesters who want to end the lockdowns? Oh, that's right. The answer is zero. Remember when uh, we were worried about insurrection because there were a bunch of uh, Second Amendment protesters who were gathering together in the state capital of Virginia and a lot of them had a lot of them had legally carried and legally owned firearms on them. Zero acts of violence. Do they do they ever even notice do they ever even care that they they propagate all this hysteria in the media? And well, really, as we know, gun ownership has just become a it's just an issue of, of of ideological separation now for so many people. If you own guns, if you believe in the Second Amendment, you're a certain kind of person. And it's the kind of person that the left doesn't like. But on on the issue of the lockdowns, we are seeing such a divide in our society. And I'm somebody who, you know, at least for now, I mean, I, I am I am. Well, I'm lucky and I'm unlucky in the circumstances. I mean, look, anyone who has their health right now, let's start with that. You're lucky, okay? If you're healthy, you don't have this, you don't have an immediate family member with this, you're you're lucky health-wise. All right. But then there's the economics of it. In that sense, I'm also lucky. I still have a job. It is absolutely crushing. It is a gut punch to think about all the people who listen to this show, all the people across the country who do not have a job, who do not have money in the bank. And I know what it's like to not have any money in the bank. It is incredibly anxiety producing. I've had that as an adult. I think I had like, you know, one point, you know, a couple of hundred bucks in the bank. I mean, it was just not good. But I didn't have a family to feed. I didn't have a mortgage to pay. And that was because of choices that I had made. It wasn't for the, it wasn't because the government came along and said, you're not allowed to have a job anymore. 
The rage that's building up is real and it is justified. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The president made this announcement, albeit on Twitter, that he was going to sign an executive order suspending all immigration to the United States. Your reaction? Look, I think it's another diversion. Uh, the agencies don't even know what it is. No one knows what it is. Uh, last yesterday or the day before, we were talking about WHO. I think the president ought to stop these diversions. What we really need is a focus on testing, a focus on contact tracing, so that we can open up again. And that should be the focus. That's what we've been. We've been negotiating this all night. And I don't think we should be lost in diversions that have little uh, to do with getting the testing and the opening up of America that we need. Testing, huh? More of this. Yeah, testing's important. Testing is not a panacea, not even close. Testing doesn't mean people won't get the virus. It doesn't mean people won't die from the virus. But this is now the, this is the, the, the complaint that the left has dug in on because you'll never have enough testing. You'll never have enough testing. Uh, and that's just the, that's a way to gripe about reopening and say, oh, see, it's, it's not that we didn't want to reopen at all. It's that the, we didn't want to reopen until the testing was good enough. When, when will the testing be good enough? September, October. Oh, maybe after the election, huh? Interesting. It's, it's absurd. But they're, they're talking now about how Trump is, Trump has said he did it on, he did make it the announcement on Twitter, which is very Trumpian. He's amazing. Is he, the way he slaps around these journalists is, I, I know that the journos hate it. That's why I love it. It's fantastic. It, it, we've, we've all had to stomach for far too long these preening social justice wannabe overpaid babies in our professional national news media. We've all had to listen uh, for, for how long now to them just lecturing the country and thinking that they're so important and so irreplaceable. And Trump's just like, look, you're a clown, you're a jerk, you're a joke. Let's start with that. You want to make this about you? This, the economy is getting crushed and people are dying from a terrible virus. And you want to stand up here when you have the attention of the whole nation and not ask a question that's worthwhile, but ask a question that's meant to be a gotcha. So you get a, you know, an attaboy or girl from Rachel Maddow on MSNBC? I don't think so. Not on Trump's watch. God bless him for it. But now he's saying he's going to shut down immigration uh, for a while. And the left is predictably freaking out about this. Well, here's the problem that they're going to run into. Of course, we don't want immigration right now. Of course, a pause in that would be good. Do we uh, remember how we were told that you can't overstress your hospital systems right now? You know what other system you can't overstress? The federal government's agencies that are tasked with preventing illegal entry or having to even vet and take care of legal entries into the country at this point in time. You know, we were already think about this. We were trying to get U.S. citizens and green card holders back into the United States that were stuck abroad. And that was a challenge. We're we're really going to want to sit around and and have to process and deal with the possibility of uh, people coming into the country who look this is this is one of those establishing of sovereignty moments where, you know, if, if you're not American, if you're not you know, part of the American family, uh, you you're not someone that's at the top priority for U.S. resources right now. That's just that's just the way any country would be. 
That doesn't mean anybody that shows up at the emergency rooms or wherever that needs help. Of course, we're going to help everybody that we have to help. We're, we're a humane, we're a kind, and we're a uh, fundamentally moral. America is a fundamentally moral country. A lot of other countries aren't. In fact, very few countries are anywhere near as fundamentally moral as, as we are as a people and as a nation. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's going to be a pause on immigration right now, according to the president. And we, we're going to go through this again. And I just, I just want to establish right now, they're going to say he doesn't have the authority. He doesn't have the authority. He can't do this. The will of Congress. Remember the whole battle that went all the way up to the Supreme Court over the so-called Muslim ban? Oh, and oh, it was so terrible, the Muslim ban. I mean, it was the, a ban on like 12% of, by population, countries from the Muslim world, all of which that had already been established by the Obama administration, by the Obama administration, as not just high risks of terror, but also not having pro, uh, proper procedures and uh, counterterrorism cooperation in place to prevent the possible infiltration of terrorists into this country. Right. That was the that, and that was the whole purpose of it. And the arg. Oh, my gosh, the left. You don't have a right to do this. And federal judges who apparently can't read the law very well, don't don't understand what the law really is. They make it up as they go along. I mean, I got to tell you, we're always talking about how how undergraduate programs in this country are not what we were led to believe. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of being honest about this. I think that most most BAs uh, and what I would say, you know, most bachelor degrees aren't worth the very highfalutin paper they're printed on. I think mine was actually printed on like a goat carcass or something or like sheepskin or something like that. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? But they're not worth it. Um, guess what else isn't worth it? As an intellectual and now as, as a credentialing exercise, sure. But intellectually speaking, uh, I, I'm amazed at how many people come out of law school and have just a fundamental misunderstanding of law and political philosophy that that has been uh, ingrained in them. I mean, they're really taught to just become liberal activists and think that they're supporting the law. They think that words and language and principle are whatever they want them to be. It, it doesn't really matter what they are. It's all subjective. It's all up for change. Anyway, this this made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court before with the so-called Muslim ban, or as I like to call it, the temporary pause in admissions from countries that have established a history of uh, terrorist threat and do not have proper vetting procedures in place for the purposes of preventing a surge in risk to the United States from terrorism. But there's no cool acronym for that. So I get it. And there's no pithy way of saying it. But the so-called Muslim ban, which was not a Muslim ban, uh, the the temporary the temporary travel restriction. There we go. That's what they should have called it. Temporary travel restriction. Uh, when all the Supreme Court it turns out that the president under the Constitution, under the laws of this country, does, in fact, have for national security purposes, the authority to say who can enter the United States of America. This this we've we've already run this experiment. We've already seen it. And the libs are going to turn around and say, what do you mean he's stopping immigration? He can't do this. Yes, yes, he, he can. Because the national security purpose of stopping additional entries into the United States for non-U.S. citizens and non-green card holders, when you're dealing with a pandemic, and when we don't have the procedures yet, maybe we will, and maybe they'll get them in place soon, to do rapid and immediate testing for anyone coming into the country, there is a very real possibility of 
introducing people into the United States who have COVID-19, which places further burdens on our healthcare system, on our system in general. That's a real risk. They can say it's not, but it is. That is a real risk. In fact, Singapore, which had done a very good job of dealing with the the initial outbreak of COVID-19, has had a secondary outbreak, not a huge one, but a secondary outbreak. And what, what have they already traced it to? People coming to Singapore from outside. People who are infected who show up in Singapore. That's and, and you have not been in countries where they had the same stringent lockdown procedures and uh, and the same you know, vetting and uh, science based measures in place to control the disease. So we, we've already seen this. We've already seen one country where uh, the well, I mean, look, I know it's a very small country, but it is a country. And we've already seen that the entry of people from the outside can be a problem. So are you going to see any honesty about this from the left whatsoever? No, you will not. No, you will not. And you'll have, for example, uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti, who is who is really like a one man illegal, illegal immigrant lobbying arm. I mean, that's really what, you know, Garcetti, anything that's about illegals. And, and, and it's just it's a shame for the state of California. But, you know, illegals are now. And you say, oh, Buck, they can't vote. Well, they get driver's licenses and they get in-state tuition and they get all kinds of state benefits. They get health care. They get money from the state as part of the COVID-19. They're giving them just cash. Uh, and also because of the connections between illegal aliens and people who are citizens and, and do live in the state of California and the emotional and, and personal ties uh, to millions of people in that group. Um, this is now the, a voting constituency that the state of California, if you want to be in the mayor of L.A. or if you want to be the governor, Governor Newsom, you got to just bend the knee to whatever illegal aliens want all the time. You can never talk about rule of law stuff. Oh, oh what do you mean with that rule of law? That's uh, hey. So here's L.A.'s mayor, who is, I, I think, slightly less awful than New York's mayor, but that's a really tight comparison. Uh, Here's what he says about the immigration tweet from Trump. Play three. I believe in governance by law, not necessarily by tweet. Um, I'm proud to be the grandson of an immigrant from Mexico. Um, That's why I'm the mayor today. Uh, We have a a president who is the grandson of an immigrant as well, who married immigrants. Uh, We can't run away from who we are and the people who are helping us most right now. Um, I think we are all in this together and all life matters. And this isn't going to get stopped by playing politics. I think that Mexico is more worried about the rate of infection from the United States right now than vice versa. So let's make sure that we stay connected and engaged with the world. And let's not start writing off anybody um, in this country just because of where they come from. Uh, Maybe by all immigration, he means everybody. Who knows? Maybe European. It's astounding. Maybe. Some of the darkest chapters of our American history um, are written in times like the World War II uh, when we scapegoat people and try to change the subject. This is a public health emergency. This is not an immigration emergency. So I hope we can stay focused on what this really is. Notice the f- the 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 immigration, the pro-immigration fanaticism that's really on display here. My friends, you and I are being told we can't leave our homes. You want to talk about not feeling like America? We're supposed to stay locked in our own home, only going out to get, you know, necessary groceries. And even then you got to wear a mask and you got to social distance. And 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 I'm supposed to be worried about the fact that we're not going to be taking in new immigrants for maybe a matter of a few weeks, maybe a month or two. Look at the priorities of the Democratic. Oh, this is not who we are. 
Yeah, we're also not a country that's supposed to be on universal lockdown, you idiots. Maybe there's a real emergency right now, and being a nation of immigrants is not the most important thing for us to be thinking about. It's just, it's just really complicated. They, they can't figure this out? Hey, the web person who can't figure it out is that Nancy, Nancy Pelosi put down the wine cooler long enough. She's going to answer the question. Place in play 19. With the president used the word waste three times at least in his comment, and I think it's a waste of time to even comment on what he said uh, when he uses uh, term, negative terms to describe anyone he wants to hoist blame on instead of taking responsibility. I spoke truth when I said he's a poor leader. He never accepts responsibility. He always assigns blame. It's not too late uh, to tell the truth or to do the right thing, and I hope that he will. This has, for the, the back and forth between the governors and the president is very interesting uh, because he, on the one hand, wants to look like, well, we have all we need, let the governors do it, but it, the fact is that the, it doesn't add up, and it has to add up. What is she talking about? She just, just babbles. You know, sometimes Trump has a particular way of saying things and he can get a little bit wrapped around his words. And but you always know that he's trying to say something and you know what he's actually trying to say. What the heck is Nancy Pelosi saying? Yes, this is the president. It's the place of the thing here is the place. Not a good leader. Third in line for the presidency, folks. Most powerful elected Democrat in the United States of America. This is who they offer up. This is who all the all the multimillionaire news anchors out there who want to lecture you from the Hamptons because they don't want to stay home in quarantine in their apartments. No, they get to go out to their estates and then take over a, a wing of it to set up their home studio. And then they go, oh, uh, why would the peasants want to leave their homes? Chris Cuomo, Mr. Uh, I, I have COVID and I need to be so careful now. There's this report out that that guy's going, he's gone from Southampton to East Hampton. I mean, the Hamptons is just a collection of you know, a lot of very rich people with very high self-opinion. And he's going from one town to another while he's an active carrier of COVID, according to the New York Post. Is anyone, anyone calling him out for that? Oh, no, no, no. He's, oh, look at the great job. Another guy, I apologize to some of you for, I, I was uh, way too charitable in my, early estimation of what you know governor cuomo was being so nice and friendly to trump in the early days because he needed to create some distance between the massive stink of his early failures as the governor of this state to get us ready for the pandemic that has killed thousands and thousands of my fellow new yorkers my fellow americans here so he was all oh yeah i'm just being mr you know trying to be helpful with everything else that was the whole purpose of it i just i had to figure out what had gone on beforehand i had to dig into the numbers a little bit you know, so the, the Cuomo Brothers Roadshow they've been doing, not, not that entertaining. Uh, there's much more important stuff going on. And the double standard that we're seeing from people like Pelosi, and uh, it's, it's just, you're seeing who people really are right now. You're seeing who they really are. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Okay, team, I wanted to to give you the specific tweet on the immigration uh, suspension that the president has has now laid out in the last uh, 24 hours. In light of the attack from the invisible enemy, 
as well as the need to protect the jobs of our great American citizens, I will be signing an executive order to temporarily suspend immigration into the United States. It's temporary. It's a suspension. He has the authority to do this. But you know what? Part of what what drives people on the left so insane about this whole thing is that this COVID-19 crisis has shown us that secure borders are a national security issue. That's a real thing. That's just the truth. And it also is a reminder, as millions and millions of people are losing their jobs, that that, that a job is something that is precious, and there are a limited number of them, and supply and demand does still, apply, does still apply even in the labor market. That's a real thing. So we're seeing, in many ways, a vindication uh, through historical events here of much of Trump's philosophy when it comes to China, when it comes to immigration, when it comes to borders, when it comes to jobs. You know, you're seeing a lot of where Trump was right early on, and people have been trying to shout him down and say he's so awful and so such a terrible president and all the rest of it. Meanwhile, to anybody who's paying attention and being honest about it, if we had made some of the changes that he had been suggesting, and he did give an update yesterday on, on the wall. They said over 100 miles of wall have been built. Uh, th- these are these are things that early on we were told were crazy. You know, you can't rely on on China to build all these things for you. We have to build more stuff here. We have to move manufacturing back here. You know, the the early uh, consensus, you know, elite consensus uh, opinion on this was no. Why? It's great for us. It's great for China. They make all our stuff. We get to you know get cheap TVs and sell them all of our treasury debt, and you know it's all great for everybody. Really, having your greatest global competitor that seeks to supplant you and seeks to uh, humiliate you on the world stage over time and make your people poorer and less free and have less influence as a culture over time. That country you're going to put in charge of your supply of necessary medical equipment and antibiotics. Trump knew that was a bad idea. Did the did the so smart intelligentsia know? Oh, they did not know. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And yet in January, a certain date, you know the date better than I do, we put on a ban of China where China can't come in. And before March, we put on a ban on Europe where Europe can't come in. So how could you say I wasn't taking it seriously? You know, I put on a ban on China before anybody in this country died. I put on a ban. And so you tell me, Nancy Pelosi was having, she wanted to have a street party in Chinatown in San Francisco at the end of February. That's a month later. Devastating and true. Left's going to have a very hard time with this. The media, they're just the disgusting so-called journalist class at the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN and MSNBC. I mean, CNN is really CNN is is now an organization that propagates uh, a lot of lies and and is is really turned into it's a bad place with a lot of really bad people working there. Not everybody, a lot of very bad people in that organization. It it has lost its way. Um, It is now an, an organ of propaganda from the left that will seek to destroy Trump at any. And I'm going to say now it has been for a while, but it's very clear, even during a pandemic, when they they could just be they could just pivot and become a, an information source, neutral journalist, you know, try to be more like the perception. I know the BBC is very left wing, too, but the perception of the BBC around the world of just, you know, oh, we're just reading the news. We don't have opinions, you know, 
CNN could do something like that, uh, but they don't. They, they do what they always do. They're the propaganda arm of the DNC, and they're an utter, an utter disgrace. But they're also feverishly working, feverishly working to uh, rewrite the history here of what really happened. I mean, that's a very, remember that. I and mean, someone wants to challenge you or argue with you on how Trump has done such a bad job, you had de Blasio saying that Trump is like Hoover, Hoover or Ford. He's never going to get reelected. Oh, because his pandemic response was so bad. He, before a single American had died from the shutdown flights from China, which even St. Fauci has said saved thousands and thousands of American lives by preventing the direct importation. Wait a second. You mean that we shouldn't just bring in people who are foreigners and not worry about what happens with the situation of public health during a pandemic? Uh, because we, we shut that down, lives were saved. Um, and, and it wasn't perfect, and we've obviously lost a lot of lives. I've told you, in New York, it's, it, look, it's, the, it's density in the subway. It's the population density in the subway and, and the global travel hub. You add those three things together, and you have a nightmare scenario with this disease. We have that more than any other place in the entire United States, which is why in New York City is 65% of the cases of New York State. New York State's a big state. People forget that here. I mean, you know, you head out to Buffalo, it's like you're in Canada. It's not close. It's like an eight-hour drive from New York City. So there's a, there's a whole other state, and, and most of the cases, a majority of the cases are right here in a relatively very small square mileage area with a whole lot of people packed on top of it. So Trump took action before there was a single death, and Pelosi and all the rest of them are saying, oh, well, if we had been in charge, things would have been so much better. There's just, there's just no reason to believe that that's true there, there's no evidence to suggest that that's true uh pelosi was saying hey, it's it's kept out there's a party it's gonna be you know party in chinatown it's gonna be great it is it's gonna be. yeah that, that was we, we've heard the audio i played it for you on the show pelosi was saying yeah come on down it's fine we'll all we'll all be fine come on down to chinatown right when the virus was really starting to spread and, and hit badly here in the United States. Um, so we can't allow them to rewrite the history here. We can't allow them to get away with pretending that something else would have happened. I mean, just, just so we understand how really political this is, again, de Blasio, remember, de Blasio is the mayor of the worst hit COVID-19 city in the country. And here's the, here's the way that he talks about this when he's given a national podium. You know, is, is he being... Uh, a man for this moment and trying to bring us all together and find ways to help the situation? Or does he whine, blame Republicans and say that Trump is basically a fascist and the worst ever? And Republicans, too. Play 17. What's happening right now in Washington is the discussion of adding to the stimulus money to support state and local governments so they can get back on their feet, so they can actually move forward to that restart of the economy. The House, under the leadership of Speaker Pelosi, is 100% ready to move forward. Senate Democrats under the leadership of Chuck Schumer are 100% ready to move forward. Senate Republicans are trying to stop aid to cities and states around the country. And let me remind you, blue states and red states, they're actually standing in the way of people of all persuasions, all backgrounds, big states, small states, every part of the country getting the help they need to get back on the feet. So the Senate Republicans don't want to act. They don't want to protect New York City or any place else. But you know what? Literally, with the snap of his fingers, Donald Trump could fix that. If he would just say the word, the Senate would jump. What a liar. 
I mean, just what a scummy, slimy lie. This guy is gross. He's really bad news. I mean, he's a bad person. He's not somebody that not somebody that I respect at all. It's not like I disagree with him, but I think he's a good guy. And there are there are Democrats, plenty of them that, that, that I would I would take that position. I think they're wrong, but I think that they're fundamentally decent people. They're just confused. De Blasio is just he's just gross. And and here, while we, we know what the problem is that we're trying to deal with right now, first of all, Congress isn't even in session. Nancy Pelosi thinks that they should be on an extended vacation right now. Extended recess while the country is in this horrible circumstance. And OK, uh, while that's happening, we're trying to find out how much more money is needed for the Paycheck Protection Program. Who is standing in the way? Democrats. Democrats are standing in the way here. Here's Mitch McConnell giving an update on the PPP. Maybe we should just call start calling it the three P. Play six. It's now been four days since Paycheck Protection Program ran out of money. Republicans have been trying to secure more funding for this critical program for a week and a half now. At this hour, our Democratic colleagues are still prolonging their discussions with the administration. So the Senate, regretfully, will not be able to pass more funding for Americans' paychecks today. However, since this is so urgent, I've asked that the Senate meet again tomorrow in a new session that was not previously scheduled, and the Democratic leader has agreed to my request. Colleagues, it's past time, past time, to get this done for the country. It is absolutely past time to get it done. And why isn't it getting done? Because Democrats like Pelosi do not have their feet held to the fire over this by the media. Democrats don't have to worry about getting pummeled in the national press for standing in the way. They don't have they don't have to worry about that. And that is what they're doing. That is what they're currently doing. Um, It's it's really remarkable. Um, It's really remarkable to see how much dishonesty there is around all of this. I mean, here we go. We got an update on this. Hold on. That's what I was looking for. Schumer says deal reached on aid for businesses. Hopes for a Senate vote today. Okay. Uh, we have a deal and we'll pass it today. The Democrat told CNN he's a few eyes to dot T's to cross. Uh, okay. Well, here's what it says. The Butterfield said it would include $310 billion for small business, a top priority for Republicans, for the PPP. The program would, program would now include small banks, credit unions, and nonprofits. Top priority for Democrats uh, for pre-existing relationships with the banks. The large banks have then... Okay, here we go. Butterfield said that healthcare would get $100 billion, split between $75 billion for hospitals, seven, uh, including some for rural ones, and $25 billion for testing. Another $50 billion would go to the Small Business Administration's Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. My friends, we are spending... I mean, look, I know that we need this for businesses because we've set this up, but we also have to remember we are spending money here at a rate that is just mind-blowing we're spending a hundred billion like the government used to spend a billion i mean we're just we're just you know here you go you know a hundred billion for this a hundred billion for that uh, you know 10 billion here 50 billion there 50 100 billion dollars a lot of money even for the government that's a lot of money but 
You know, remember, couldn't get $3 billion for a wall when the economy was booming. Couldn't get that. No, no, that was that was way too much money. But now we're spending hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars. Hopefully this will, will work better for the PPP than it has. I mean, thus far it has been, it's been really disappointing as a program. I mean, we, we need to be honest about that. We need to be honest in our assessments about how all this is going. So, oh, by the way, you hear that Kim Jong-un is uh, in bad shape? Talk about uh, a, a story that would have gotten a lot more attention if the world wasn't in meltdown. Uh, let's, let's dig into that for a second. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, the dictator of North Korea is having a, having a rough one from what we understand here. I know all of us are like, great, guy's the worst, but... If he were to uh, expire, uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff would happen at a time when the world is certainly not really prepared to deal with any more than it already is, including the United States government. Here's a story up on Fox News. The U.S. government has extensive contingency plans in place for an eventual death of North Korean leader Kim Jong Un that factor in expectations of mass scale humanitarian crisis inside the country. Sources discuss those plans amid conflicting reports about the reclusive North Korean leader's health. Those same sources urge caution about these reports, which have claimed he's facing serious health issues after a cardiovascular procedure. Whether while his condition is unclear, a well-placed defense intelligence source told Fox News that the U.S. government has extensive plans that uh, dealing with the complications that could arise from his death. The official described the likelihood of a huge humanitarian crisis within North Korea that could include millions of people facing starvation and a mass exodus of North Korean refugees into China. Intelligence sources told Fox News that part of the plan would be to rely heavily on China to step in and help manage the situation on the ground inside North Korea, partly due to China's proximity and partly due to logistical challenges of the U.S. providing humanitarian assistance. So what have we been told? Um, the, the, a North Korean... I'm sorry, the Daily NK, which is a periodical based in South Korea, Seoul, uh, which is run by North Korean defectors, reported that Kim, who's only 36, was recovering from his April 12th surgery. The report said he had been in bad health because of heavy smoking, obesity, and overwork. South Korean officials downplay these reports. So, look, we we don't know. They're they're saying it could be totally untrue. There's no specific trend here. We don't know. They don't know. You know, early stage, but... Well, I mean, you know, Kim Jong-un, if he were to expire, that would create a whole bunch of issues. Um, I'm not even sure what what the what the succession plan would be in North Korea. I can promise you this right now. All the journalists are reporting is they have no idea. It's like, oh, my gosh, there'd be a catastrophe. They don't understand what that means other than that's the thing you have to say right now. But uh, the world would not um, not do well to uh, not do well rather than the circumstances in in trying to capitalize on the possibility of flipping North Korea from the totalitarian hellhole uh, it is to something a whole heck of a lot better, given that we're all focused on our own stuff right now. We we do not have the bandwidth to take on any additional challenges outside our own AO. Uh, But yeah, that's the story on Kim Jong-un. It got a lot of attention last night. I wanted to mention it here. It could be it could be a non-story. I mean, it could be uh, essentially fake, fake news. Um, so there we have it. There we have it. Uh, 
I also want to talk about the testing situation a little bit more because there's going to be so much arguing about this. Um, let, let's understand that right now there is no way, there is no way that Democrats are ever going to say that testing is acceptable uh, and because this is going to be blamed back. They're going to reflect this back onto the federal government, right? That's the plan to make sure that this is Trump's fault no matter what. Here is the governor of New York, Governor Cuomo, who is saying the following, play 12. Governor, the president just tweeted that the uh, testing is up to the states, not up to the federal government. Just a quick reaction on that. And also, is the state capable of doing the type of testing it needs to be doing in order to not only identify who has the disease, but who has had the disease? The president is right. The states... Uh, testing is up to the states, which will implement the tests uh, and logistically coordinate the tests. Uh, for example, in this state, I should make the determinations as to what labs participate in testing. We have about 300 labs in New York. Uh, it's my job to coordinate those 300 labs. Which ones should do this? Which ones should not? How do I decide what labs work where? They're regulated by the states, these labs. Do you think that they're going to be able to figure this out quickly? Do you think that this testing, testing uh, regimen is going to be a smooth situation? It's going to work out well? Nope. Nope. But remember, even though it is up to the states, and you've been told this by the governor of New York, who will get blamed for any problems with testing in any state? The president. The political incentives here for the left are so clear. We know what they're going to do before they're going to do it. But there are a lot of people that don't pay as much attention to what's going on as you do. And guess what? They can be swayed by this. Oh, well, if you know the president is really responsible, that seems kind of reckless, doesn't it? It seems like he's done a bad thing. Meanwhile, uh, Vice President Pence, who has done, I think, an excellent job so far, coordinating in this crisis, but also being a voice of, of calm, which matters at some level, right? It matters to have somebody up there who doesn't seem like they're trying to score cheap points, who just wants to help people, wants to do things the right way and use his power to do so. Here's Pence on the testing issue for states. Play 11. We told the governors once again today that by our best estimates, we have enough testing capacity today for every state in America to go to phase one if they meet the other criteria of 14 days of reduced cases and sufficient hospital capacity to prepare for any eventuality that may occur. Once again, we have enough testing capacity for every state in America to go to phase one, but we assured the governors today that we're going to continue to work around the clock to expand the testing capacity, support supplies, and to support their efforts to encourage social distancing and the very mitigation efforts that the American people have been doing that have brought us the progress that we see all across the country today. So enough tests for every state to go to phase one, but remember phase one is a dynamic target. Once you get into phase one, you could have more cases and you could have to revert revert out of it, right? You could have to take a more extreme position. So, and remember, it's phase one of reopening. That's where we are. Pence is telling you the truth. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Team Buck, special treat for all of you today. The man himself, Ted Nugent, joins us. He is a rock 
superstar. He is also an avid outdoorsman, best-selling author, all-around freedom spreader, and lover of the good old U.S. of A. Mr. Ted Nugent, sir, thank you. Well, thank you, Buck, and a happy springtime to everybody in spite of this crazy, crazy world we're living in. Yeah, let's, let's, because I, I have so much I want to ask you about, and, and you're very kind to give us your time to philosophize a little bit about freedom. But first, let, let me just get your take on what are we doing right now as a country? I mean, we have people being told that they can't go into a playground with their wife and kid with no one else around. We're being told that you can't go to a, a drive-in church. You can't go to beaches, although they're starting to change that now. What happened? I, I thought I thought we were the, you know, give me liberty or give me death people, or at least don't tread on me. Um, doesn't feel like that's the way a lot of the government's treating us these days. Well, you smell like truth, logic, and common sense, just like me, Buck. But let me tell you, yeah, these are uh, uncharted territories where, uh, plunging into right now but there's always going to be good bad and ugly and i like to focus on the good and there's unlimited good to be focused on sure there's a bunch of freaks out there that are violating their oath to the constitution forbidding people to go fishing forbidding people to plant gardens i mean it really is like planet of the apes cuckoo's nest time so those guilty parties know who they are but the good is that I have a whole bunch of hunting buddies, a bunch of ranchers and farmers. I got military buddies, law enforcement, first responders, teachers, you know, the, the, the doctors and the nurses. And those of us that learn to be prepared and, and live the Boy Scout mantra of being prepared, we have always been cocked, locked, and ready to rock the Glock Doc. And we're helping those people who were dumbed down. And will you know, the new national anthem for a segment of society is, Meh. And it breaks my heart. But again, that's the bad and the ugly. And the good, I believe, is now manifesting itself in these protests where we, the people, are experimenting in self-individual government. And we're raising hell with elected employees who have tread on us. So I, I don't just see a, a light at the end of the tunnel. I see a glaring, you know, eye singer every day of my life because I'm surrounded, my band, my crew, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, my management, everybody in my life is so in the asset column that we will help those who have decided to be in the liability column. But I really believe there's a bunch of positive that we can cling to primarily that divine intervention brought this great non-presidential, non-politician to the uh, commander-in-chief uh, helm. So I'm feeling, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm feeling pretty good about the whole thing in spite of the oath violations, the abuse of power, and the runaway corruption that is so glaringly identifiable now. So I think even the fence sitters are waking up that you're not allowed to sit on the fence. You have to defend the fence. Do you think that there's not only a, a change in the perception about one's individual preparation that's now necessary, but also are, are we going to see a whole lot more people really appreciate, you know, I, there's a lot of, you know, the, the, the America bumper sticker stuff you see out there, right? Freedom isn't free. And people who serve in the military, for example, they, they know what that means at a very deep and important level. But, you know, a lot of us come, you know, don't tread on me, the Gadsden flags and all this. Is there going to be a renewal of that emotional, spiritual bond between millions of Americans and what individual rights and freedom means as a result of some of the some of the craziness that we were just talking about before? You know, I'm the eternal optimist, and I hope and pray that that prognosis 
is accurate when it comes to fruition. That being said, again, everybody I know is in the asset column. Everybody I know works their ass off to be productive and to be a benefit to their family and neighborhood and country. God, family, country, boy, that's radical. So I'm not so sure that the dumbing down of America, I mean, how do you not have enough toilet paper for a hurricane or a snowstorm or a ice? I mean, how do people get that so irresponsible? And again, that sheep battle cry that I just you know, painfully shared with you a moment ago. Yes, they're going to wake up. I'm not sure how quick, but more importantly than that, Buck, is I'm going to I'm going to really scold my fellow patriots. Those that believe in God, family, and country didn't vote in Michigan, and they allowed Hillary Clinton to become governor. Yes, for those that are in. unsure themselves that would be uh, Gretchen Whitmer who is Hillary Clinton so I would like to think that we should just focus on the the constitutionalists amongst us and here's the battle cry vote damn it don't let the liberals win by you know organizing their voting blocks better than we do but we have a huntthevote.org huntthevote.org. What we did in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, we finally galvanized what I think is the ultimate uh, conservative uh, voting block in America. And those are licensed hunters and fishermen and trappers and outdoorsmen and conservationists that traditionally do not vote. I don't know if it's because it's the rut during November and they're in their tree stand, but embarrassingly, and, and unforgivably, that huge army of conservative voters don't show up at the polls. So at huntthevote.org, we are galvanizing those people like we did in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania in 2016, the top hunting states in the nation. And that may sound confusing to some people out there, but mark my words, there are tens of millions of hunting families in this country that don't vote and then they show up in protest because the enemy got into the office of governor in Michigan and that's damage control instead of just voting God family and country as quality control so I'm hopeful that that untapped army that already agrees with the truth logic and common sense that you live by that I live by that they'll finally wield the ultimate weapon in the history of freedom and that's the vote in America what is the Ted Nugent assessment of the opponent for Donald Trump right now, uh, Joe Biden? Have you been seeing some of the the Bidenisms, which is, I think, the pleasant way that we refer to them? Have you seen some of this stuff? I mean, I'm I'm trying to, to work on a Biden impersonation that doesn't just sound like a ripoff of Mr. Magoo. But then I realize it's going to sound something like that because he does seem somewhat confused. Again, I I. I don't think liberals are the same species as you and I. They like, they're allergic to truth, logic, common sense, and the evidence that is otherwise inescapable. Just examine the history of abusive power by Joe Biden. I mean, from the credit card scams to his, the Hunter Biden scams and all, I mean, just a, a lifetime of ripoff and, and deceit and abusive power. And then watch him struggle to form a sentence and people 
actually go, yeah, that's my guy. Yeah, I want him to be the commander-in-chief. It's amazing. I mean, this is like an outtake of a bad Saturday Night Live spoof on just how stupid people can be. So again, I know that that ignorance and that apathy and that stupidity exists, but I hope the people that are, are not stupid and are not ignorant of how we got to this experiment in self-government, I just, you vote out there. Go to huntthevote.org and let's make sure all conservatives are registered and we vote God, family, country, constitution, freedom. Duh. Yeah. Now, how do you think the Trumpster has done so far? Okay, look, right now he's in the midst of the most challenging governing situation for any president. I, I think it's pretty fair to say since World War II. I don't think anything really because you've got the, the infection, the virus and the loss of life and all the all the fear and the panic. And you also have the essentially induced depression, right? I mean, this is a depression that the government has walked us into. It said, don't worry, we'll pull you out of it. Well, we'll see. But how has the how has Trump done up to and including uh, this challenge in your mind based on what the promise was from the campaign? I mean, you know, you're one of the few. I don't know if you like the term celebrity, but you're a celebrity. You're one of the few celebrities that has been supporting this guy from the beginning and still supports him all the way through. So you've obviously seen a lot of the crazy on the other side. How, how do you think Trump is doing? Well, let me put it this way. And I think if we examine my following sentence that the evidence will gag you. Donald Trump is as close to Ted Nugent as you'll ever get in politics. He knows he's on the right course. He knows about logistics and responsibility and accountability. He knows about the Constitution, that it's a God-given guarantee of God-given individual rights that our founding fathers wrote down because we didn't believe in kings and emperors and despots and slave drivers, even though we had to get over that that embarrassing, horrific chapter. So my my card my what do you call it a, 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 a when you get a a, a a rating in school i don't remember because i wasn't paying attention report card i never went to i was too busy learning stuff yeah when you give uh trump a rating i give him an a plus just because if you're driving such clear and present idiots that crazy that's gold in my world i mean i do not intentionally drive idiots crazy but i just stand up for truth logic common sense again self-evident truth you know that i have the right to my choose my own religion i have the right to have privacy in my home i get to keep and bear arms not just the king and his henchmen punks etc uh, etc et so i give uh, president trump an a to a plus just for the fact that he is going into uncharted territory he's like lewis and clark of politics right now with this pandemic and the abuse of the media that the the unbridled dishonesty and hate from the left. I, I mean, I deal with it. They call me a pedophile. They call me a draft dodger. They claim I diss the Native Americans. Lies, 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 because they can't debate me. They are incapable of debating me. And all you have to do is Google my different debates and watch me eat the face of the idiots to try to tell me that my truth, logic, and common sense ain't accurate. So I, I love President Trump and his team. I think he is burdened by some of the excess baggage of past administrations, but he is uh, he's uh, de-shackling that at a real rapid pace. And, and I pray for the man every day and his family. And I think he was sent here as a non-politician to represent we the people more accurately than any administration I can remember. We are in a dark time right now as a country because of this pandemic. 
But you're a guy who seems to be able to find the optimism in things, seem to find the silver lining pretty easily and, and certainly have a, 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 a spiritual and, a, and psychological resilience in the face of all this. So what are you going to say to people right now that are, that are really worried that America is never going to be the same? Well, this may sound selfish, but it's just a big campfire that I'm humbled and honored to share every day. But go to my Facebook and listen to the millions of people who just reek of goodwill, decency, work ethic, a drive to be the best they can be. This country is wall-to-wall spiritual samurai producers. I know these truck drivers, and I know these ranchers, I know these beef producers, and I know these agriculture czars. My God, their alarm clock goes off earlier than anybody's, and they go to bed later than anybody. Those are my people. I call them blood brothers. And I share hunting campfires with them every year because we donate hunts with Uncle Ted because I'm so much fun and valuable for different military and children's charities. And I hang out with the most dedicated, down-to-earth, grounded, smart, dedicated, we the people, working hard, playing hard families who donate a lot of money to these charities just to hang out with me and get some backstraps around the campfire. So I know the heart and soul of every strata of the human experience. Uh, I, I get a call every month, Buck, from Marcus Luttrell. I speak with Rob O'Neill and Gary O'Neill, the author of American Warrior. Uh, Bob Blevins, who served like 12 years in Vietnam and a bunch of, I actually shared a campfire, Buck, with a uh, survival of the Bataan Death March and guys that were at Normandy and Iwo Jima. These guys have, think of this, Buck, how can my haters and critics possibly deter me when I am sought out by that that heroic level of humanity seek out Uncle Ted because they hear me promoting the Second Amendment, unapologetic and unbridled. They hear me promote conservation and hunting, God, family, and they find me. They they find me somehow, and then they come and share a campfire with me, and I I milk their knowledge and their their heartbreaks and their hardships in, in battle. And I didn't serve officially in the military, but you know what I got behind me and on the mantle over here? I got a bunch of purple hearts, Buck. Stop and think that I didn't earn them. I tried to resist, but when a Marine or a Navy SEAL puts a purple heart in your hand and says, I want you to have this. And over a more than 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, they have given me these purple hearts and none of them knew each other. And they all said the same thing. I want you to take this, Uncle Ted, because you fight every day for what my buddies died for. They all said almost like it was scripted, but it isn't scripted because it's burned in their soul. And they know that I'm the only artist, the only celebrity, even though I'm just a deer hunter, um, that gets in the media and promotes God, family, country, freedom, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, you know, all that really radical stuff. And so these old heroes seek out the goofy guitar player and give me their purple heart and I'm supposed to listen to criticism from Michael Moore who still hasn't discovered personal hygiene? I mean, my cocky factor is off the charts because of those guys. So there's a lot more that I had to say with uh, Ted Nugent. We really got into a whole bunch of stuff, including hunting, what makes a great bow hunter. If Ted could play 
in any band or with any group or individual musician in history, who would it be? We had a great talk when almost an hour, we're going to release all of that as a podcast. So just make sure you listen and we're going to release that on Thursday. So make sure you're ready for it. Subscribe now. It'll, it'll drop into your box. You can listen to it this weekend. Ted's a great guy. We had a lot of fun. Subscribe on Spotify, uh, on Apple podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, the iHeart app, and it'll be out on Thursday. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We have not seen the final text of this bill, but what I can say is that if it matches up with what has been reported, I will not support this bill. Personally, I'm not speaking for a caucus, I'm not speaking for a delegation, I'm not speaking for anybody, but as the person who's representing the most impacted district in the country, my constituents are upset. My constituents were upset about the first package um, because it it is insulting to think that we can pass such a small amount of money in the context of not knowing when Congress is even going to reconvene and pass such a small amount of money, pat ourselves on the back and then leave town again. I am not here to support that. Yeah, like she doesn't want like the stuff that's not enough money to happen because she's too busy, quote, saying that she or this is the quote coming up that she, quote, loves to see it with the plummeting price of oil and the devastation that the oil industry is going through right now. Remember, she has an economics degree from BU and she won a very fancy prize for a science fair when she was in high school. So she totally knows stuff and is like really smart. Probably the most social media famous Democrat politician in the country right now. I mean, just, you know, is able to do these live streams, these stream of consciousness and just just share all these thoughts. And, you know, the, the left is is fascinating to me because they will hold up people like AOC and Biden who aren't very bright, aren't very impressive, don't really know anything. And these are their these are their suggested leaders for us. And then they turn around and look at us like, how could you support Trump? We want to put the we want to put great leaders who are super smart forward. We're looking at them like, are you guys out of your minds? You're, you're really going to. You're going to shuffle old man Biden in front of us and think that this is inspiring. You're going to have us take economic advice from, you know, Che Guevara superfan AOC. Really? You think so? Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Roll call time. But first, I just want to put out there to the audience that I told producer Mark that maybe I could start doing some hip hop uh, hip hop rhymes for our sponsors and offer that up for some of our what we call live reads in the radio business. And producer Mark did not think that this would go over well. I just want to say, I'm not sure I agree with you, producer Mark. Uh, how could you not agree? Have you heard yourself rap? Maybe that's what it is. No, but how would I know if I'm good if I don't try? I can assure you, you're not good. <sighs> you know, you know, team, he doesn't have the faith. You know, he just doesn't have the faith. I, I feel like I'd probably, I think I'd be better than one would expect. And also, I want to remind everybody, please go to BuckSexton.com today uh, and, and check out. We've got stories up. Uh, we got a story on Tom Cotton and talking about China. We've got my analysis of the New York City subway system and how this is the COVID super spreader. We got all kind. We got Devin Nunes talking about how he wants those SOBs that went after him to go to jail. Great stories up. BuckSexton.com. You can also find your nearest local radio station there or listen to the podcast there, which would be great. And producer Mark, when are we releasing... 
the rest of the Nugent conversation again Thursday? I'll do it Thursday around 9 or 10 a.m. Eastern time. There we go. Great thing for you to listen to over the weekend. Uh, and those of you who are radio listeners and not podcast listeners, well, you need to think of it as like the, the DVD extras. You got to sort of click on the, you know, when you're at the DVD, you got to click on the extras to watch them. You got to listen to podcasts for some of the extras for the show now. So great. You can go to BucksXon.com and we have the podcast up there, but also uh, you can subscribe on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, which I, what, do we know? Why do we not call it iTunes anymore? Why is that a they, thing? Because the iTunes store isn't a thing anymore. You don't buy music. You use Apple Music. So it's Apple Podcasts. Oh, it's the podcast app, if you will. But isn't there still a. Oh. I don't think the iTunes store exists anymore. Like you can't just purchase a song. I mean, I still have iTunes on my phone. No, you don't. Don't I? That's Apple Music now. I mean, I, I just clicked on something that says iTunes Store, my man, and I can download You might not have up- updated your phone in years. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Learn something new every day. All right, roll call. I uh, hope you guys all enjoyed the Nugent interview. By the way, we got uh, James Altucher, who will be joining later on in the week. We'll have a long chat with him. That'll also be a podcast. We're talking about how life is changing because of this, what we're learning about life, and what life will be like going forward in the era of the pandemic. He's a, a very big think kind of guy, and I think we'll have a really great conversation. And I think we'll have a really great conversation with him. And don't forget the YouTube channel where all of this will also be. Producer Mark, where will the where, how does one find the YouTube channel? Oh, you go to youtube.com slash Buck Sexton. Listen to this guy. We got to get this guy to start doing some live reads. You know, laying it down here. Laying it down. I might become the new voice guy. Yeah, there we go. Producer Mark. Be like, yeah. Listen to Buck. He's not perfect, but he's better than the other radio host. This is Producer Mark. Out. He's better yeah. than everyone except Rush. No, I'll take it. I'll take it. I can't tell, say you're better than Rush yet. So I don't even say I'm better than exactly. Rush. I mean, come on. It's like, it's like you come into the NBA, you say you're better than Jordan. It's like, whoa, whoa, come on, come on. Um, let me ask you this. Have you seen the Michael Jordan? Because I believe we're also going to have Clay, uh, Clay Travis on. So, I mean, we, we just rack and stack amazing guests these days. Clay Travis later on the week to talk to us about the Jordan documentary. Have you seen it? Yes. Uh, parts one and two came out Sunday on ESPN. It was fantastic. Everything is advertised. It was supposed to come out, I believe, in July. But because of the pandemic and no live sports, they moved it up to April. And uh, it was a dream come true. The highest rated documentary ever in ESPN history. Almost over 6 million people watch it live. Wow. Which is insane for a not live sporting event on ESPN. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like I, I did watch a lot of basketball. I'm going to tell you the truth, Bruce Mark. I watched a lot of basketball probably from age 10 till about, you know, college. So maybe there's about an eight-year span there or so where I, wa- I watched the NBA. And I, so I was watching the NBA, and then I was also playing basketball video games, which reinforced, you know, you really got to know, you know, if you play enough sports video games, you know, like, the deep bench players. And, you know, you really, you really learn a lot about, about the different rosters and the teams and everything else. And, you know, the, the games got more and more sophisticated so that they had a pretty good representation of the players. Um, but I, the, the era when Michael Jordan was on the Bulls, I think you'd have to say, I, I think for most of us, that was probably the single greatest, uh, and within my lifetime at least, the single greatest period in the NBA. I think in all time. I mean, six championships in what, eight years or nine years, two three-peats, they're the best team ever. Nobody will ever beat them. Yeah, I remember the Knicks were kind of the scrappy, tough guy team, and they, they tried to, uh, to take the Bulls down a number of times in the Jordan era, and it just never they happened. They almost won the year that Jordan was playing baseball. 
Yeah, it, it just never happened. Uh, you know, Patrick Ewing, I know he's a great player, but I, I watched a lot of, I always remember the sports announcer was always Patrick Ewing every time he would score. That's because I, I went to the Garden a number of times to see it. And this is back in the day. Do you remember uh, the Bomb Squad? Was this way too early for you with Trent Tucker and uh, who's the guy? Oh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Joe John Starks and oh, yeah. uh, Trent Those Tucker. Those teams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that 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 and Charles Oakley, and uh, and Anthony Mason, and I mean, I remember that era of the Knicks. They never had a true superstar, but they had a lot of grit. You know, they had a lot of fight, and Patrick Ewing was the closest thing they had to a superstar, and he just never really he, got he it done. He was a superstar. Yeah, I if mean, you put that team in a different era where Michael Jordan and the Bulls don't exist, they win championships. I don't know. It just always felt like if you're a seven footer, your your marquee move shouldn't be a fadeaway jump shot. I'm just gonna say it. You know, he, you haven't watched the NBA recently. Now that's normal. There's guys that uh, are that six is, nine, that is six true. ten. I, I did see. Shooting. Look, I went to see. Thankfully, I got it in before the you know sporting events were closed. I, I did go see one Knicks game in 2019, and I, I got to tell you, uh, it was like a, it was like a jump shooting exposition. Just everyone just take it. But like these guys are seven feet tall and can shoot. It's like. If, it used to be if you were a seven-footer and you could hit a free throw, everyone was like, wow, look at that guy. You remember Shaq at the free throw line back in the day? Shaq, it was like, you know, he like picked up a ball in one hand and kind of threw it toward the rim. You know, he got more of a touch as he, as he moved along. But he started out, I think he was like a 50% free throw shooter, which in the NBA is like unheard of. Uh, I mean, less no. than, he definitely less than that. It was less than that? What was yeah. it was like 30 or 40%? I, I, I would have to look, but he was awful. Yeah, he was an awful free, but it was like, well, he's amazing and seven feet tall and can dunk every three seconds, so no one cared. Now you have these guys who are, I mean, you know, well, who's the guy? I mean, I, I actually saw him play. They, I, they call him the, the Greek, um, I can't remember his last oh, name. Oh, Giannis. But, yeah, Giannis, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, nobody blah, knows how to say Greek his last name. name. Yeah, long, Giannis. Anastasopoulos or something, right? I mean, but Giannis, that guy's like seven feet, seven feet tall and plays like a two guard would have in the in the 90s. Yeah, he, he has comparisons to Magic Johnson, who was also like 6'10", but played point guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it, it is it is a change game in that regard. But we'll have uh, Clay Travis on. And, you know, also, I, I want to see if, if producer Mark has any has a question or two for Clay Travis. We'll see if he wants to ask him something. Well, I, we the sp- guests can't hear me. That's the only problem, Buck. Yeah, well, you can feed it to me and I'll, I'll say okay. this is coming from producer Mark. I'll whisper you, into your ear. I'm a very, yeah, whisper into my ear like you like you do when we actually have a show to do. Like, hey, Buck, you got to do the show. I'm like, eh, I'm watching Netflix. Mark's like, eh, you got to do your show. I'm like, eh, okay, fine. All right, Stephen. Hello, sir. Hello, sir, to you. I hope you and those dear to you are keeping well and staying happy and healthy. I see you often on Fox News Channel. I've heard you on radio for years. Glad you now have your own well-deserved show. I'm impressed by you on so many levels. I don't mean to sound obsequious. You are erudite, eloquent, edifying, encouraging, and enlightening. I love alliterations. I cheer you on as God continues to use you in mighty ways. My prayers go out to you and yours. Well, Stephen, that is very, very kind. And I mean this I mean this from the bottom of my heart. They actually just made my day. That was like the nicest thing anyone said about me in a long time and it's meaningful and I try to do the absolute best show I can for this audience every day and it is you know it, it is what keeps me going right now um, doing this show doing the best job that I can I mean I'm, I'm either doing radio or preparing for radio or sleeping or eating a little too much but those are the things that that is my life right now there is nothing else so I'm trying to do every day bring the most I can so that when you all tune in and listen your time is well spent and you're you're getting a lot out of it. But also, 
you know, we, we bring that connection, that's that sense of of we are we are in the hut together. You know, that's why we've always called this a freedom hut. It's a it's be a very big hut considering we're now on 160 stations and in all I think we're all on in pretty much in all 50 states. I mean, there might be a couple states where we're not on a station officially, but we're close to it. Chesson, Mr. Buck, Captain Hair Swoop Sexton. It's been a while, but still listening. Anyway, listen to Biden's latest rambling interview. I'm beginning to wonder if the Dems are going to pull some kind of weekend at Bernie's situation, weekend at Biden's situation. Chesson, I mean, this is what I've I've taken the uh, the approach of uh, talking about, you know, El Cid. The similar idea. I mean, they're, they're just Biden is just the na- Biden is the vessel for the Democratic Party to defeat Trump. No one's expecting Biden to be impressive. No one's expecting him to do much of anything. He just has to show up and Democrats are going to do the rest for him. That, that's the point. That's the whole purpose of this. And I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off or not. I mean, there's a recent I think nationally Biden's up a few points on Trump in a recent poll I saw. But in the battleground states, Trump is up. And as we know, the battleground states are what really matters. So, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be close, my friends. It's going to be a close election telling you right now we're gonna it's gonna be a late night we in the freedom we're gonna be up late on election night dave buck my son and husband live in nyc he is a manager at facebook and his husband is a commercial pilot they love living in the city but after doing their state and city taxes are moving to texas as soon as they can what will it take for the state and city government to stop driving young professionals away uh, Dave, they're just it's just not worth it, man, for people to be here. It's just not worth it um, in terms of the taxes and the, the cost of living and everything else. It's fine in your 20s if you're going to if you're going to. Uh, speaking of basketball, go hard in the paint, you know, if you're going to really get after it. And if you're going to be a single person that spends too much money on food and enjoys the nightlife here and is uh, engaged in a lot of that activity, then you can justify being here for a while. But to, to raise a, a family here and to build any real wealth for one's family, I don't mean to be rich. I just mean to build financial stability. Very, very tough here. Uh, I mean, the entry level in Manhattan, at least, uh, the entry level, and this is also true in a lot of parts of Brooklyn, probably even some parts of, of Queens now, too, that uh, you know, one-bedroom apartments go for well over a million dollars for a one-bedroom apartment. Think about that. A lot of you are living in you know, a, a three or four bedroom house, plenty of space. Maybe you got an acre or two and that house is not costing a million dollars, right? I mean, we, we all know in a million dollars in most of the country will get you a big, a uh, big ass house, right? Producer Mark. I mean, not unfortunately in New Jersey, even in striking distance of New York, it's not going to get you a big ass house, but you can get a house. Yeah. You can get a house here for a lot less than you can get a one bedroom apartment in Manhattan, but it's still high taxes. Yeah, it's still high taxes. Uh, you know, it's still expensive. expensive. I was looking just for kicks last night. I was bored. Houses in Florida. My God, they're so cheap. Yeah, I know, it's man. It's great. I do the Freedom Hut. You know, it may it, we we may uh, <laughs> maybe a whole. I've got some moving boxes left. You know, we we end up going down to Florida and uh, be be very nice. You know, no state income tax. Think about that every year. What that's like. Uh, yeah, I, look, I, I think New York, I, I, it, it hurts me to say it because I lived here during the real, the real glory days of the city when it was the safest it ever was, the um, most beautiful, the most, and look, it's been through a lot, obviously 9-11 and now this, but I'm talking about, and there, was a, there was a period there in between, really from about 2000 and 
2003, 2004 until now, the city was really on a, on just this this unbelievably uh, happy trajectory for a long time, getting just better and better, safer and safer, more just amazing food and activities and restaurants and development and growth. But I think now a lot of there's an article in the Wall Street Journal today saying a lot of people are leaving and they're not coming back. They're not coming back. They're going to move somewhere else. So that's why when I'm when I'm giving like shout outs all over there, I'm like, what's up? What's up, KLBJ Austin? What's up, 93.7 FM in Denver? Uh, what's up? Uh, you know, just go down all of our stations. What's up, Sandy? Oh, San Diego. Oh, San Diego. That would be okay. I mean, it's California taxes, the only, but I yeah. love. Oh. Let's go to the one place in the world that's more expensive than New York. Yeah, I know. That's the problem. We love. I love San Diego. I don't know. Maybe well, maybe someone in Team Buck has like a, you know, a guest house by the beach that they don't use very much. They could let us like set up shop for a little bit. You know what I mean? Just just for a little while, just to see how it goes. Yeah, we'll do it for like a month. Yeah, or or four. All right, more roll call coming. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. Hey, Buck, listening from, here we go. I, it just comes up. I didn't even set this up this way. From Freedom 93.7 in Denver, Colorado. I also use iHeart or your podcast when I'm on the road. Great, great, great interview with Jack Carr. Thanks for a little bit of diversion in these strange times. I'll be buying all three of his books and looking forward to the TV series. Been looking forward to a worthy successor to Vince Flynn. No offense to Kyle Mills, but Vince's plots and characters were his, not Kyle's. Keep up your awesome, awesome, keep up your awesome show. There we go, Buck, the English. Hello to producer Mark. Delray Beach is a great place. I've had family there since 1910. Stay safe and shields high. Yeah, I've only been to Delray Beach once for one night. I was on a, I had a, you know, I was there with a date and we went to a dinner and I just love, I mean, just walked around. I just love that place. I just loved it. It was great. So, and producer Mark likes it too. I, I do. That's an option. I, I spent the same amount of time there and I loved it. Tallulah, stop that. Sorry, guys. I know you're hearing a little bit of behind the scenes here, but Tallulah is trying to dig a hole in my couch. You naughty little Frenchie. I'm going to make you wear a beret. She hates producer Mark. She hates hats. She's fine with sweaters. We have fancy little sweaters for her because, you know, she's a Manhattan dog. But if you put a hat on her head, she will just she'll like do somersaults until it comes off. Like she absolutely hates it. So that's one way to get her to. That's right. A little French beret. So all the other dogs, all the other American dogs will make fun of you. All right. Uh, let's see. Ian. Hello, Buckman. Thanks for keeping the Freedom Hut safe and warm. Oh, but of course. But of course, monsieur. You know, I was wondering what kind of impact the global shutdown will have on the environment, i.e. positive climate change. I think it'd be rather comical if the environment benefits greatly, and that's the reason Libs start backing off the 12-year doomsday calendar. Shield tie, brother man. Hey, Ian, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I hear what you're saying, and yeah, there's a lot less pollution. I mean, I'll tell you this, the air in New York City right now, you open the window and, oh, it's like you're on a camping trip. It's crisp. It's clear. There's, it's, I had never had this experience before being in the middle of Manhattan, but without all the, without all the car fumes, and remember, it's carbon monoxide that cars are putting in the air. It's not just the carbon dioxide. There's actual really bad stuff. Uh, the air is so much cleaner. It's, it's nice. But no, they're never going to turn the doomsday clock back because they want to control your life, and they don't care what the facts are and, and all the rest of it. Dean writes, the Freedom Hut Quarantine Cookbook. Do it, Buck Sexton. I'll buy a 12-pack for Christmas gifts. Prepaid. It's getting a lot of likes. Dean, I'll think about it. Maybe I'll do a video for YouTube. If you all subscribe, youtube.com slash Buck Sexton, I'll start putting some Buck 
Cook's videos up. How about that deal, team? It's all free. Let's check it out. Let's see those signups go up. Until tomorrow, Shields High.